All right, today we're going to talk about our favorite pre-title sequences with Mike Reyes, who writes for CinemaBlend.com. Welcome to the show, Mike. Oh, it's just wonderful to be back here, Dan and Tom, from the SpyMovieNavigator.com. Yeah! Let's get Great that Brandon in back. there. <laughs> we, we appreciate you being with us. So this is Dan. Dan, Tom. Oh, SpyMovieNavigator.com on our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. All right, this is a hard thing to do. Pick out our favorite pre-title episodes from the Bond movies. Now, everybody's all over the map on this stuff, but you wrote an article in 2020 for CinemaBlend.com entitled 11 Most Memorable James Bond Pre-Title Openings. So we want to talk to you about that. We want to talk to you about whether any of yours matches ours. and Which is always the fun part of these sorts of chats. Yeah, and where we go from there, because it's fun. All right, so... In preparing for this, you sent us some of your ideas. From the 11, you narrowed it down to about 8. Except, you got Quantum of Solace on here now that you didn't have in the original 11. So, we want to talk about all of that. We'll go through each of the pre-titles as you have them. And then we'll throw in a couple of things that we think, you know, <laughs> might should be in there maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Ooh. Do I, do I sense challenges coming? I wonder, I wonder. Well, the, the funny thing about these lists like this, you know, my favorite movie, my favorite Bond movies, or my favorite whatever, is if you ask me a month from now, my list would probably be different. Yeah. That's oh, true. yeah. So, well, it's just the beauty yeah. of fandom. You get so familiarized with the content and so familiarized with the movies that every now and then things change. I mean, how do you think Honor Majesty's Secret Service became such a, a late bloomer? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And Quantum true. of Solace is now, I think, with people seeing more and more of it and seeing it multiple times, they're getting a little more familiar and a little more tolerant of that movie and thinking, hey, you know, it actually is not that bad, right? And we interviewed <laughs> Roberto Schaefer, who was the director of photography for that movie, Quantum of Solace, and he had some fascinating backstories for that. So, so yeah, you're right. Things change over time. and. Here we are in this moment. So, in, <laughs> in this moment, we're going to talk about what we think are the best of the pre-title sequences. All right. Let's start this by talking through what your list is. The eight movies that you gave us were From Russia with Love, Thunderball, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, For Your Eyes Only, Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough, Casino Royale, and Quantum of Solace. All right. Uh, that was your list as of today. And before we start that, I just want to say that James Bond and Ian Productions has really popularized the pre-title sequences. But they weren't the first ones to do pre-title sequences. There are many movies in the past, going back to the 30s, where pre-title sequences have been done. So, But the Bond series definitely has popularized them in big, big ways. Like the Guinness Book of World Records, the second edition says that Destry Rides Again, 1939, has the first pre-title credit. But there's always there's a lot of different takes on all of this. But here's an interesting thing we found also, is that there's a movie from 1934, Crime Without Passion, and there was an opening sequence. It wasn't a pre-title, because they were showing some titles and actors over this. But it shows a gun being fired, and... Blood dripping to the floor. Okay. All right. That sounds a little familiar. <laughs> and I went and looked at it. And it's like, oh, it's like the gun is facing us. 
boom, and then you see blood hitting the floor. So anyway, it was pretty cool. Which Let's, Bond did with everything except for Casino Royale. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, of course, No Time to Die. And, uh, was oh, yeah, because there was no blood with No Time to Die. Yeah, exactly. that's the one I'm thinking. Yeah, it was and No Time to Die. That, that should have warned us right there. <laughs> <laughs> that free title, they told us everything we needed to know. We could have shut the damn thing off. <laughs> okay, oh, so you're talking. Like another episode. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're saying that it told us everything we know. So let's go back to the first one in the Bond movies, which is From Russia With Love. And when you sent us your list, you said these are my favorite and slash notable pre-title sequences. And so some of these may be maybe not your favorite, but they're the most they're they're very notable. And in the Bond series, this from Russia with Love pre-title sequence is notable because it's the first one. So why did you have that on your list? So I remember watching From Russia with Love for the first time. I think it was my dad's VHSs. Because wow. once Goldeneye had come out, started playing the game, it's like, you know what? I do finally want to watch these movies because the first, my first two experiences with Bond were very brief. I mentioned them on another episode. You can go back and listen to that. But one of them was in a, sitting in a theater with Goldeneye. And the first scene I see from Goldeneye is Joe Don Baker's ass tattoo. And it's like, okay, that's if I had seen it from the opening, from the pre-credit sequence, I would have probably been hooked. But starting with that, it's like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> So, Come on, what's wrong with his butt? <laughs> I am not body shaming Joe Don Baker at all. The man will always be walking tall for us, yeah. but I, it's just, it's, it's such a non sequitur moment that it's like, yeah, it's one of those weird situations where, you know, the, the eternal question of if aliens landed on earth, what's the first thing you show them to <laughs> work concept. That's not it. That's not it. <laughs> but with from, so going back and watching the films in order, on VHS, I remember watching From Russia with Love and just having that sharp Bond death fake out. And on top of that, just Robert Grant looking suave and deadly yeah. as hell. Robert Shaw. And then just, it, it's just, you could tell that it, was, it wasn't so much an invention for necessity. It was an invention of, okay, how do we, how do we really wow everyone with this? Like we, we, they still don't know what they're doing right there. And the formula wouldn't really cook until Goldfinger. Yeah, Goldfinger, yeah. that movie where all the formula just cements into place. And that is where Bond takes off. Right, right. Seeing this as like an experimental draft. And yet it hits so hard. Like yes. I just love when a franchise knows what it's doing early on. And while it still may be experimental, it's strong and it's confident with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, well, you said Robert. You said Robert Grant. <laughs> you, you oh, sorry, Robert Shaw. You were, combining, you were combining the actor and the and the character. All right, but I, I think what was cool about it too, and and it, you just touched on that, is that they're experimenting, and this is the first pre-title for the Ian production Bond movies, and we don't know where this whole thing is going. We just see Doctor No. And now we see from Russia with love and he's dead in the pre-title <laughs> sequence. We really don't know what's going to happen here. And now we kind of know as we go further and further along. Okay. Yeah. You know, you know <laughs> he, he's probably not dead, but when, when you see bond die in the pre-title, he's not dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you get to you only, you only live twice. It's like, yeah. I know. I love, I, know. I love that burial. See thing though. That was great. But here <laughs> I'm thinking, Okay, this is pretty cool. 
And really, technically, this is a pre-title sequence in which James Bond does not appear. Very yes. true. Right? Live and let die, he does not appear. In, is there another? I think there might be one more. But anyway, he does not appear in From Russia With Love because technically, it's not James Bond, right? That's right. No, Mission Impossible mask reveal. Good yes. thirty years before that even happened. Yes. Yeah, how about that? Well, what was that? What was that? What was that? Oh, what's that other one we like that has all the masks? Oh yeah, the one that preceded this. The list of Adrian um, Messenger. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, the list of Adrian Messenger preceded this, and it had a lot of masks yeah, too. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, Mission Impossible definitely wasn't the first for that. Yeah. So, so go ahead, Mike. This is kind of cool from Russia with Love. It's a quick hit pre-title. And it moves quickly. And we thought there there's there are some cool things hidden in that pre-title that either they stumbled upon, <laughs> didn't know they were so cool or clever, or were just reading too much into this. But there's some like mythical statues there, and you know, mythical statues aren't they're they're, they're sometimes harbingers of evil and maliciousness. There's a bird that chirps. This is at night. Most birds don't <laughs> chirp at night unless they're chirping to try to mate, which sometimes they do at night. They chirp. But a lot of times a bird chirping at night is another harbinger of evil, of something bad <laughs> that's going to happen. What do you think? <laughs> I think that... I actually do think that, that that's probably something that they threw in on purpose. Yeah, I hope so, too, because I thought it was clever. The statuary, too. I mean, it, it was yeah. really well done. And it's really quick. It's short little snippets of this because the whole thing's only, only three minutes, right? And It feels like the symbolism that you would see in, like, an Ian Fleming book, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, so early on in the series, they're still very much trying to sort of capture that magic. I mean, I think the reason from Russia with love was made as quickly as it was, was because of the fact that John F. Kennedy said it was his, one of his favorite books. Yes. Yep. Yes. So like as soon as they heard that, it's like, okay, that's it. That's, that's it. That's, it. That's, that's next. Yeah. yeah. The thing too, about this one is it's the first one, but, and there's not much action. It's all about the tension. Mm -hmm. And as the movies progress, that changes. Yeah. And the tension becomes a lot less important and the action becomes more important. But here, it's it's really about this tension of this hunt yeah. that's happening. And yeah. uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting as, as you watch this, and we'll talk about this through, through, through this episode, is, is what happens with action. And it dramatically changes with The Spy Who Loved Me. But it starts out very low-key in terms of action. More espionage -y. Yes, very and, true. More, more tension and sort of. Yeah. It's just very pulpy. It's yeah. just yeah. a man hunting a man at yeah. night. Yeah. Yes, there that basic that basic concept there. Yeah. But then the little embellishments and the slight introduction to Spectre. It yeah. just layers everything on to make it Bond Zone. Yes. However, it may challenge the the action. Uh, what you just said about the action with the pre-titles because I think it comes in a little earlier. Okay, well, we'll talk through that. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you didn't mention of oh, your eight, Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, and so, so that one's interesting. And the the reason I find it as interesting is because I attended a thing that uh, Raymond Benson did, and it was about pre-title sequences in general, not Bond movies, but in general. Ooh. And the Goldfinger one was his favorite of all movies. Yeah. 
Now, this was before No Time to Die, but this was his favorite pre-title sequence was the Goldfinger pre-title. Yeah. In part because he just thought it was goofy enough that <laughs> it worked. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I actually liked it too. And so we we don't have that on your list here, Mike. So we're going to talk to you about that. And <laughs> I, I honestly do not dislike any of the opening sequences. And the spy who loved me is not on your list. And that I think a lot of people consider, maybe not Raymond Benson, but a lot of people consider that to be the best pre-title sequence of any Bond movie. I think that was in his presentation, that one there. Yeah. Okay, so great one. let's move off of Goldfinger and move into your next one, which yeah. is Thunderball. So this one is one and a half times in length what we had in From Russia with Love. So it's a little bit longer, but not terribly long at four and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah. And so why don't you talk to us about why that one hit your list? So Thunderball sticks out to me as... A movie that has an opening that has what I like to call F U and I energy. <laughs> and that the reason I call it that is because way back when Star Wars Episode 3 was coming out, a friend of mine sends me a link and it's a leaked, like, two second clip of footage from I think it was the first trailer mm-hmm. and it was labeled F U and I. And what it was was Anakin and Obi Wan really going at it in a lightsaber fight. Uh-huh. And I just remember the energy and the intensity of that moment. It's like, that 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 phrase just crystallized with me. Okay. And that's exactly what I get in the beginning of Thunderball with James Bond fighting against uh, Colonel Jacques Bouvier, who isn't quite as dead as we thought. Mm. And then you've got James Bond beating up on what looks like, you know, a, a poor, poor widow, so, uh, you know, honoring her, her husband's passing. Yes. And then it just turns into a knockdown, drag out fight. And you've got John Barry's reprise of the bond theme with wailing if there's anything i love from this series it is a good wailing horn track yes (laughs) i had noted on the tomorrow never dies episode with you gents just that it it just it really amps it up for me it's like you are locked for that that opening you are locked through that fight bond being pursued through the chapel and then is there room for a jetpack there's room for a (laughs) jetpack and even to this day Jetpacks are still this wonderful marvel of engineering that I am in awe of. Yes. All of that together. And then we're just going to, you know, cut to an 11 hour, 11th hour written Tom Jones musical number that <laughs> also wails and just the opening of this film hits so hard it has nowhere to go. It, it, it has very little room to go up. Yes. But the film manages to do that. And it's, it's still one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Connery Bond. It, yep, it is a solid one, and we talked about that in our uh, when we were together. This it's like how how did he beat Jacques to the chateau? <laughs> of course, you know the jetpack is up there waiting for him to escape, right? So we presumed he took the jetpack there and beat Jacques to the chateau, and so had it there waiting for him to exit. Of course, we know there's only like thirty seconds of fuel or something in the jetpack, and now you got to have a willing suspension of disbelief here. But anyway, we think. Well, geographically, the two buildings were are close, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in the movie, they made it like a walkway. In the movie, they made it further away. In real life, yeah. it's right next door to yeah. the the chapel that they were in. But he, here's another subtlety, Mike, that I think I'm hoping again they wrote into this script for the pre-title that is I I think fantastic when. 
Bond is standing looking down at the JB casket down there. On the wall next to him, on the balcony, is a Latin phrase. And it's causum prose, prose, I think prose, dicit apudeum. And I thought, why are they including that? Because there are inscriptions all over around the chapel. It's a real chapel, and they really have this. So why are they showing these words? So I asked a cousin of mine who knows Latin, <laughs> and he says it means he recites or pleads his cause before God. Okay, he recites or pleads. He's pleading his cause or his case before God. So I'm thinking, okay, this makes a lot of sense. If you look at the he being Jacques Bouvard, who at the moment we think is dead, he could be pleading his case before God right now. Hey, God, yeah, I'm an assassin and all this, but hey, I did my job. Don't hold that against me. Or if it's really a general message and it includes Bond too, he might be pleading his case before God. Hey, God, you know, uh, I'm pleading my case before you now because I'm going to do my best to kill Bouvard. <laughs> so I thought the inclusion of this, if it was intentional, is brilliant. If it was accidental, it's still brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> a stroke of fortune. But That's a hell but, of a pleading, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> On both ends. <laughs> yeah. But I loved it. So there's, a, there's another little one. I'm hoping that they, they actually intentionally threw that in. But, uh, yeah, now I want to talk about this jetpack thing for a second because yeah. that is what really latched me into this movie because I used to commute from the suburbs into the city of Chicago and it would take anywhere from 40 minutes to two hours, right? Depending on traffic. And after watching that movie, every time I'm stuck in traffic, I'm going like, why don't I have a jetpack like Bond? <laughs> why don't we all have them to be able to get rid of this craziness of this commute? That would be nice. That would be the problem, though, because imagine all these people having jetpacks and considering how well they drive. Just imagine people like that with a jetpack. Yeah. No, I want a jetpack. Yeah. I don't oh, care okay. about anybody. So just you. That's just, okay. That's just that's, me. Okay. Go. That's better. <laughs> the whole pre-title on Thunderball, you're right, Mike. I mean, it is a very solid one. We, we like it a lot. There are some things in there like you wonder like the the water cannons and stuff it's like okay like tom asked uh, before it's like where are you keeping all that water in an aston martin i mean <laughs> you know, where are you going to store that and and uh, and make this a sporty uh, you know car to get away with well you see he turned the trunk into an ice machine so that way he can have cold drinks and then the melted ice feeds into a reservoir and then automatically pumps out i like also, that but he put the generic cooling but he put the jetpack in the boot so yeah it's later, all the water you yeah. gotta open it he doesn't have a spare tire in there you know he traded uh, he oh, traded comfort yeah. for practical yeah, uh, yeah practical you know, he's, okay. he's got bulletproof tires probably you don't need another spare what are you gonna do with spare <laughs> The funny thing about the water cannons is, I mean, it's like a, a powerful hose, right? I mean, you know, step out of the way of the hose or the water cannon and you won't get knocked over. <laughs> it wasn't like it was spraying all over the place following them. It was shooting straight out. That was one thing I thought, okay, that was a little iffy. But what it did is it transitioned us perfectly into the title sequence with the water. Yes. If you recall, right? And 
that Thunderball is all about water, right? It's all the underwater shots, all the underwater scenes, the, the sleds, the underwater sleds. It's all about water. So I thought that was clever of them to morph into that title sequence with the water. That was good. So this yep. is a solid one, Mike. You picked a good one. That's a good one. Oh, now, thank you. Now you, you've got a, the next one is one that I personally really, really, really like, and it again is fifty percent longer. It's at uh, six minutes and forty seconds or something. They, they, they told us there'd be no math here. Just I'm tell us how long math. it is. I'm just saying that. But what, <laughs> I'm, what I'm trying to say is they they keep getting longer and longer and longer. Yes. And here we're at six minutes and 40 seconds or something like that. And I'm talking, of course, of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. So, Mike, why don't you give us your thoughts on this opening sequence, and we'll, uh, we'll chime in with our comments as well. So not only is On Her Majesty's Secret Service one of my most beloved James Bond films, it's a family favorite because my fa- it's the first one my dad saw in theaters when he was a kid. Wow. And it's one that throughout his time with the fandom, I've always heard him champion as one of the, the unsung movies. And he was always bummed that George Lazenby didn't get to come, didn't, didn't come back, Mm -hmm. not didn't get to, but didn't come back because we all know that story. But the way that, again, this is experimental. This is a first, we are stepping into the first bond post Connery. Mm -hmm. So how do you introduce a new actor to this role? And this is a hallmark that we would see introduced yet again, in Live and Let Die without Bond being in there, yep. in Living Daylights where Bond is re- and at real at a crucial moment, same thing with Goldeneye. Yes. It's basically, this was, this sort of set the brief of how to transition to a new era of Bond. Yes. And Clever. how better than the theme, zooming, uh, Bond is zooming in a sports car and a beautiful woman happens to pass him and then we get into that wonderful, wonderful beach fight. And again, John Barry does such heavy lifting with his music that it's not that he needs to, because the action on screen, you play that silently, that's still going to play. But he just knew all the little nooks and crannies of this character and of this franchise that he knew where to lift and where to retract. Yes. And just... And then, of course, you get that wonderful introduction to the sting of the Honor Majesty Secret Service theme. It's like, bum, bum, bum. And it's like, we're not, we're not there just yet. <laughs> but it, it's just another wonderful moment of very quick, very clipped action. And then you get a little bit of the smart aleck at the end. With, <laughs> with, with Lazenby's wonderful, this never happened to the other fella. Yeah. And you can debate how to take that line. Yes. Tell, tell the cows come home. But the fact is that it lands and it lands at just the right moment, which then cuts into that beautiful pre-titles credit sequence with the symbolic uh, hourglass showing past foes. and yeah, past the title mo- sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Brilliant. it's just such, they knew it was just such a momentous occasion that they didn't need lyrics. Although the supposed lyrics that were written are quite good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really was an exciting pre-title sequence, and the slow reveal was terrific, and it was it became their hallmark. And it was clever of them, like you said, Mike, to transition to a new Bond by slowly revealing the new Bond to us, but tying in the music that we're familiar with, we know it's still Bond, and all of that. And like you said, the title sequence, 
definitely shows us. Everyone's saying, oh, he's saying this didn't happen to the other fella. That Bond, it's just, just a code word, James Bond, and, and it's just like 007. It's just another, it's another name, and anybody can be James Bond, whatever. And then the title sequence shows us that, no, no, that's not the case. It's tying us back to all the other Bond movies before Lazenby, right, as Bond. And we now know, okay, no, this is the same James Bond. I like it, that. They did all that so brilliantly. Right? It's so novel because you're, re you're introducing the character. And that is right. what you need to hammer home before you introduce the new actor. It's like, look, we're not, the James Bond is not going anywhere. James Bond is James Bond. Yes. So that's, it's that sort of shorthand of this is another Bond adventure. But yeah, you're, you're itching to see what yeah. they look like. As the new Bond, we get that. We're going to hold off on that a little bit because we want to keep the, We want to make sure this is just entrenched in the reality that is Bond. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Well, if, you think of, if you think about it, even in even in Doctor No, there was a slow reveal of Sean Connery as Bond. Mm. Right? Oh, very true. That's you, true. You know, and and first Bond. Then and then here. You get the slow reveal in the car, and including what I absolutely love was the three-banded cigarettes. Yeah. Right, because Bond smoked those cigarettes that have the three bands on them, and you see that before you see his face. Yeah. So if you're paying attention and you know that that's the cigarette that Bond smokes, you're like, oh, this is Bond, I think, right? And so I, I, I just love the way they did the little hint. that. Yeah, that little attention to detail I just totally, totally loved. Now, the other thing about this is I feel sorry for the next actor, if there is a next actor, to play James Bond, right? Because if you think about how negative the press was about this movie when it came out, Ugh. a lot of it was, oh, it's not Bond. It's, it's George Lazenby. It's not Connery. It's, it yeah. can't be Bond. Imagine with social media these days. I mean, Daniel Craig caught so much crap when they announced him. Oh, a imagine, short blonde, Bond. Yeah. Imagine it these days. And I think one of the reasons this movie has endured itself and gotten more popular is that hater mentality is gone and people are actually watching the movie. <laughs> and, yeah. they've seen, and they've seen other people playing Bond, so it's easier for them to adapt to that. Yeah, and but it's a it, damn good movie. It is a. It is a. I mean, yes. it just it just got it just got screwed at the beginning because so many people were like, "Oh, this isn't Connery. This sucks." It's probably one of the best Ian Fleming novels, really. Uh, it, it's so well written, and they stuck very close to the novel in this movie. So yes. it, it's a fabulous one. It's one of my yeah. top favorite yeah. movies, and I and like his, Yeah, and his his line this never happened. That is actually one of my favorite lines in all of Bond. Yeah, and he smashes the fourth wall because he looks right into the camera after he says yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. He walks towards the camera. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's that, that I just to totally thought that was awesome. Yeah. And it's a wonderful introduction to sort of maybe a lightning in the tone of Bond because while the film is definitely deadly serious and has one of the biggest downer endings yeah. in movies, period. You still have that cheek that Lazenby brings where yeah. he's still very much in the lane of Connery's Bond, but he is winking a little bit, nodding a little bit, but not as much as we would see in the Moore era, which yes, would totally full tilt into that. No Tarzan screams just yet. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You said that your dad saw this movie in the theater. Have you seen this on a big screen? 
No, and it is the probably the first classic right. Bonds that I want to cra- cross off my list because I'd love to see them all in a theater, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. And so recently, uh, I saw Lee Pfeiffer on Facebook had yes. gone to a theater up in North Jersey that was doing a Bond fest last week. And Honor Ma- Majesties was being played last Friday night. If I didn't, if I wasn't so... I, I I forget what I was doing that night, but I had something that night. And it's like, you know, if I had known that ahead of time, I would have switched my schedule because yeah. that's one I really It is fabulous. See. Out of the yeah. big screen. We, we did Ray, see it. Yeah. We, we yeah, got- Raymond Benson hosts every so often at this one theater in the Chicago area. Uh, and he's just getting ready to do um, From Russia with Love. But he did uh, on, your, on Her Majesty's Secret Service there. And it just... To see those ski sequences yeah. and the mountain scenes in on big screen, it's like, whoa. Raid. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The, the Dawn Raid. The one shot that yes. always, always sticks out to me is that beautiful sunrise yeah. and yes. them in the helicopter. Yeah. And just, beautiful it, on the big whole movie feels like it was really, if Goldfinger hammered in the formula, this was the one that really tried to, I guess, make it art house before art house. Just because of the fact that it's so languidly paced when compared to other Bond films. It was the longest Bond movie for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And you have that romance subplot. You have the Louis Armstrong song. Yeah. Nice. All of this could be signaled from the beginning where, again, they are showing you traditional James Bond. They are showing you the hallmarks. They are showing you the action. And they're preparing you to go to the next step. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it was terrific. And Tom and I have visited virtually every major filming location for Honor Majesty's Secret Service, including Keys oh. Gloria. <laughs> I want to go so bad. We are on that beach. Wonderful. We are on that beach where Raphael is fighting with Bond in the water. In fact, we, we interviewed Terry, Terry Mountain, Terrence Mountain, who played Raphael. He was terrific to talk to. Yeah. And uh, But that beach is cool, and it was kind of neat being on the same filming locations there. We visited the store with the ring. We visited the bull ring, the, the mansion where the wedding reception was. I mean, it, we, it was fabulous. And we even went all the way up to the top where Tracy starts where they're driving and Tracy passes them with their cougar. Yeah. Yeah. We, went, we yeah. did the whole route, and it was such a blast. And then the movie... One of the best. One of the best. <laughs> I'm still amazed that this was got what got Peace Gloria finished. Yes. Like this movie was why it was finished, because it was already being built. And they're like, well, we'll finish building it for you if you let us use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, what, a, what a, a scouting location job that was, whoever did yeah, that. Really. That was just awesome. Because, I mean, Tom and I went up there. You're going, you're, you're up there. You're, we stayed in Murin, and Murin's about 5,000 feet, 4,000-something feet up. And then you go another four or 5,000 feet up to get to Peace Gloria. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you're in this cable car. Ooh, and you're looking down. Tom loved it. He loves cable car rides. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm taking not, pictures. I'm not good with heights. I'm taking pictures, and Tom's sitting there like, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get somewhere, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> but it was beautiful. Fabulous yeah. up there. All right, so let's let's shift gears to keep this moving a little bit here. So um, I want to go to a movie that actually broke the mold. It went backwards. It's only it's ten seconds shorter than on Her Majesty's Secret Service for the pre-title sequence, and this one is for your eyes only. And that this is the one that opens up with Roger Moore at Tracy's grave, which, by the way, is a five or six minute drive, I believe it was, from the golf course from Goldfinger. Yes, and. 
so this is this is where it started and yes we've been there tom and i uh, were in that graveyard <laughs> right where tracy's yeah. grave would have been <laughs> yes trying to be as respectful as we could but so you've got this one next on your list so go for it tell us why so there's there's two sides to this coin and i feel that again wonderful tone setter for the film because for your eyes only is not only the most serious roger moore entry it still has the hallmarks of humor in fact i think that it especially bookmarks the film uh, mm-hmm. bookends the film mm-hmm. with notes of humor and part of that is the opening because you go from this somber visitation at tracy's grave which again this is the first bond film since majesties that respectfully honored and mentioned the fact that yeah that existed yes yes there's that wonderful loose chain of continuity where every bond since lazenby has a moment that this this event is central to their character so you see roger moore laying the flowers and this is after bill conti's wonderful cowbell enhanced gun barrel music yeah. That or cowbell. <laughs> it's it's seriously it's it's something that some people may rip on or at first, but then when you really think about it and you listen to the rest of that score, it does hammer home like the the more jagged edges of Bond in this film. Yes. So you've got that wonderful mournful moment, and then it turns into a helicopter ride that turns into the biggest fu to Kevin <laughs> McQuarrie. <laughs> Because while they do not show Blofeld, it is Blofeld. And then they ceremoniously dump him into a smokestack. Yeah. Also, going back to, you know, seeing it as a teenager. This is from the 80s. Remote control helicopters were something that were just so novel. And it's like, wow. And then just the, the tension of Bond being on the outside of the helicopter and having to try and take control back from it. Yeah. Of course... Bill Conti doing his magic again. He has that musical sting the minute he cuts the cord. And it's all like, like, I love when that kicks in. Yes. And it's just, that is a nice triumphant sort of chord that then leads into that nice hard driving guitar bond theme. And then you've got Blofeld pleading for his life. And it's like, I'll give you a stainless steel delicatessen. Please drop me, Mr. Bond. And then of course, <laughs> wonderful Roger Moore quip. It's like, all right, keep your hair on. <laughs> yeah. But it's, and another really, really chic uh, transition into the title sequence, as uh, we had mentioned with Thunderball, mm-hmm. where Blofeld dropping just sort of sends that shockwave. And then... Yeah for your eyes only opener starts up which another reason this one's notable the only time i can think of i think it's still the only time that the singer of the song appears because sheena easton is yes. in that opener. yes it is it is yeah you're yeah. right it's uh, it's the only time she uh, that the actual singer appears they played uh in live and let die they sang the song in the movie itself but it was some um, Person. I love that version. I love right. that version. That was good. That was good. I love the beginning of this pre-title sequence because of the graveyard thing and the connection they built, like you said, Mike, to the previous Honor Majesty Secret Service movie and acknowledging that, once again, this is James Bond, not a code name. I love that part. The helicopter landing. We saw that field as well. Tom and I were there as well. And you see that it's right next to it. And it literally is right where they said it was. I love the priest making the sign of the cross as he's taken off. It's like, <laughs> now you're thinking, well, what does he know? 
But Bond's going to die again. <laughs> you're going to need this, buddy. Yeah, right. The, the one thing that I, I, I was wondering about in this whole pre-title sequence is, you know, he's visiting Tracy's grave, right? Did everybody in the world know he's going to go visit Tracy's grave? Because MI6 is calling the priest, right? Hey, you know, tell him we got a helicopter coming. Uh, uh, how did they know he was there? Uh, Blofeld, the Blofeld, the fake Blofeld, is sending a helicopter, <laughs> and it's going to take over oh, the God. helicopter that's going to get Bond, knowing that, oh, he must be visiting Tracy's grave. That was the only thing I thought. I was like, okay, that's a little weird. But I love that part of the pre-title. The, the, the Blofeld stuff and the delicatessen and stainless steel and all that. I think, okay, it's a little little iffy, but, you know, okay. Yeah, see, to, to me, that whole Blofeld thing, they kill him off there, yeah. right? And did they think they never were going to bring him, be able to get him back? And then they spend all that money and all that time to get him back, and they kill him off in two episodes. It's like, yeah. you know, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> uh, they killed everybody off. I mean, No Time to Die, really, uh, was the wrong name for that movie because it was a time for everybody to die, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, comma, time to die. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so this punctuation, so, folks. I like that, Mike. No comma. Time to die. All right, so we've been through four of the eight, and let's talk a little bit about the action fantastical part as it grows on this, because this one's after that wonderful ski sequence and ski jump in The Spy Who Loved Me. So you had mentioned that you thought that the action, and I kind of, when I said the action early on, I was kind of thinking more fantastical action, you know, the... the Fair. But in terms of... No, that, what you're, what you're did I miss there? No, I was thinking in terms of Thunderball, where it was okay. like... The more, but that's the more brawling action. To your point, the more fantastical action, yeah. yeah. Yes, it by is. Who Love Me, definitely. I mean, even if you look at something as cheeky as the man with the golden gun opening, that was still in a fun house. That was still mm -hmm. very contained. Yeah. But you, yes, I, I would I would say that I would agree with you that when it comes to the really fantastic, all of it was hitting with Spy Who Loved Me, right to yeah. Marvin Hamlish's Bond seventy seven. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, man with the golden the man with the golden gun is the other one where Bond does not appear in the pre title, right? I mean, True. technically, he's a statue there, right? And that one was on your list of eleven, but wasn't on the list of eight you sent us, so. Um, yeah, I think what ended up happening was I, because I also noticed I forgot to put in a Dalton, because I tried to cover as much ground uh, as possible, yeah. while also not keeping you here for three hours. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Tomorrow never dies. Yeah. Yeah. So now this one, we got another 40% jump in time. This one goes to nine minutes and 30 seconds. So we're getting the Brosnan ones. They were long. <laughs> oh yeah, to the point where the next one on the list is a record was the record holder for until no time to die. Yes, yep. yes. And obviously, we chatted quite extensively about no time to die's opening, but just a, a short, a sort of short run for that because I wouldn't want to spoil people going back into the back catalog of spymovienavigator.com's cracking the code of spy movies, but. That episode, I, I, I re-listened to it and prep for everything, and just I loved it was just fun. the work that I did with you guys. Yeah. That was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. It was, and, it's always fun with you. It's a good one. So this yeah, one, like, yeah, this, tomorrow, tomorrow never dies. A lot of good stuff here. Yes. Uh, just, just the fact that, again, 
Bonded a terrorist supermarket. And this is one of the ones where we know who James Bond is. Yep. But they make that wonderful choice of withholding, showing us Bond is on the ground until the right moment, the right introduction. Like, this is just so well-paced. And then when it gets to all of the action and all the chaos going off, if anything, it it kind of feels like an introduction for David Arnold. Because uh, I guess when you when by withholding Bond, that's a really cool way to withhold the Bond theme. Yes, and just his sort of True. return to tradition, whether it was intentional or not, his return to tradition after Eric Serra doing the GoldenEye score. It's a wonderful sort of. It reinforces Bond is back. This is Bond. This is the Bond you love. And like, yeah, we're moving forward in terms of scope and in terms of stories but it's still a bond movie yeah the action was terrific and it really the pace i think you, you mentioned that too the pace of it was very good well done i mean you're just anticipating the next five seconds you're just waiting and waiting and waiting one of the things i really loved about it is how they interacted with each other and they had the chess piece code right that yes. i thought was pretty cool the higher the rank the higher the value of the chess piece and they worked that out like the terrorists were pawns bond was the white knight the hms uh, chester the the ship they were was going to fire the missile that was a bishop and hq was a rook which you know again going up and the admiral of course the king i thought that was very clever and again hidden in there they're not they're not calling it out, really. I mean, they're they're mentioning the names enough. But when you think about it, it's like, yeah, that was very clever writing and very clever way of introducing the the value of the chess pieces and the ranking of these people who were jockeying for position, really, between M and the and the military. There was a little battle there going on, you know. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Now, for for me, this one kind of was. A fantastical callback to From Rush with Love in terms of the tension, right? Because to me, this was all about the tension of can he get out of there? Can't, you know, if you think about, you know, Goldfinger, there's not really any tension in that one. Here, there's a lot of tension and a lot of action, lots of explosions. These things are getting a lot more expensive to make, these pre titles. Yeah, yeah even me, when you think he escaped, he's got a backseat driver. So, you know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's another fantastic element of it. It's like where you would have thought, you would have thought it would have ended as soon as he flies out of those flames and he's in the plane and the theme st- stings up. It's like, okay, that's the beginning of the movie. Yeah. But then, oh, wait. And then even the movie just sort of stops. It's like, and it's like, and it's like, oh, no. Brosnan pain face, guys garroting him. It's, we're we're in for a little more trouble. And that just, that's just a wonderful unpredictability that throws you off. And you just keep watching. It's like, like you would almost get out of your seat if you wanted to. It's like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little surprise there. (laughs) That was good. That was good. Absolutely. Well done. Although I thought the guy had had the garrot around his wrist and that, when Bond pressed the ejector seat, it probably would have taken Bond's head off with him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If he's still locked on there, that's that's action figure time. Yeah. Anyway, but it's a great, great pre-title. You can't sequence. kill Bond off in another pre-title, Dan. Yeah, no. How many? We should, count, we should go over all that sometime. Ooh, all, all yeah. The, all the deaths and uh, and how we, we reacted and, yeah, some of the yeah nuances around that. All right. So that was cool. It was cool. Yep. 
right. All right, so let's get down to what for a long time was the granddaddy of all pre-titles, and that's The World Is Not Enough, clocking in at about 14 minutes. Yeah. And so this is on your list, so tell us why it's on your list. So in those early fandom days, I would sometimes, like, I would get up early to get the bus for school and then I would get up early enough that I could watch part of a movie. I'm not necessarily going to watch like a whole movie, but in the VHS days, I would throw in a tape, watch as much as I could get the bus, continue the movie the next morning or whatever. But then when DVD came around, it's so easy to just jump to a certain moment you want to watch or a certain action sequence. So that was candy for me. That was what helped die. uh, Tomorrow never dies cement itself in my head. And then when the world is not enough came out, that's what also helped that burrow into my mind because it was so easy to just flip in the disc, go through the really cool interactive menus that they used to have, and then just jump into it. And the opening to The World Is Not Enough was something that, again, it is one of those meshing, the meshings of action and story where it's, it's paced so, it's paced to the point where you would almost think that they were skipping the credits and you just were in the movie proper, especially when you're in the bank. Yeah. Oh, 14 minutes in, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. they must be skipping yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, it's like you rarely ever see a movie. You rarely ever saw a movie where it took that long to get to the the, the credits and the, the title. Right. And then that would go even further with other movies like 127 hours, where it was like I think a half an hour yeah. before the title comes up, or like 20 something minutes. But yeah. going back to World is not enough. You go through that wonderful bank chase, and again, you wouldn't be foolish to think that okay, that's the opening. We're gonna cut to the theme and. Yep. It, cool that could have worked but then you're really laying the groundwork for the story because you introduce sir robert king stolen reports Mm -hmm. catchy conversion factor that may not the the numbers still may not add up to this day they still don't (laughs) (laughs) and then the boat the explosion it just kicks off into that beautiful just at that point it's like you're pot committed the moment he zooms out of MI6 in that stealth boat, oh, what a great, great shot. Yeah, yeah. And it's then, not finished! <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got Damon Arnold not only revisiting the Bond theme, but he revisits his little flourish that he liked to throw, that he threw in with Tomorrow Never Dies, mm-hmm. and then was used so heavily in the campaign, the marketing afterwards, where it's like, da 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 like that whole sting lead like the Brosnan sting leads up to the wonderful ba-dum, ba-dum, and he's soaring through the air in that boat yeah. Yeah. and then it's just it takes off from that point does not let up and then we see Bond injured and to a certain extent he he sort of he's failed a mission mm-hmm. some purposes so Robert King's dead uh, Julieta is blown up with the balloon. He doesn't know who he's supposed to be chasing, and he breaks his arm. Yeah. And it sets all of these. Uh, he's, he sets him on such a, a backward foot for jumping into what he's supposed to do. That and it still presents itself throughout, especially when Renard talks about you know shouldering the responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's important. Like in other Bond movies, you might be able to skip the pre-credits and it's like cool okay i i still know what's going on and if you saw it before and it's like okay cool they alluded to it mm-hmm. but this was important yes because we're actually seeing the consequences of that failure revisiting yes. him through the film and just if there's ever a movie that bond was on the back foot its world is not enough like right up to the electra reveal yeah, yeah. like 
all these different things and the invocation this is one of those films that sort of invokes the memory of tracy because he ha- she has that conversation with him about if he wasn't able to protect people Yes, mm-hmm. right, right, right. And that's on top of Tomorrow Never Dies and the whole Paris affair sort of hearkening back to that. And it's it's so instrumental to these two films, and maybe that's maybe it's that latent DNA that makes me love them so much. But again, the details mattered in this one. It yes. was fun. It's spectacular. It gets your blood going, but it mattered. Yeah, it did. I mean, you had to know what was going on in the pre-title for the movie. And sometimes, like Goldfinger, you know, there was a disconnect really there. The only thing in Goldfinger that had anything to do with it, it was he was going to be on holiday in Miami after that Central American kind of yeah. mission he was on. So, but this is this is good. I, I love the boat chase is terrific, and Tom and I were at one of those locations as well in London where they splash up the guys that are ticketing the car, the policemen. We were at that very location, which was it was fun to be. Good. You couldn't do any of that there. You couldn't get a car there and, in real life, and, and he couldn't have yeah. driven the Q-boat the way he was driving it there as well because there's all Movie this, magic, Dan. Movie yeah, magic. Movie magic. But it was... <laughs> yeah, it, movie magic. <laughs> it was terrific, and I, I love the, the boat chase when Bond is underwater for a few seconds and he straightens his tie. And it was a definite callback to, to Goldeneye where, you know, he, he's driving the tank and he does the same thing, you know. And, of course, Bond does that a lot. Daniel Craig does it and, and mm-hmm. so on. He straightens his, you know, his sleeves or but whatever. But with that was a great one, I thought. Yes. yes. Like, yeah, that's sung with Brosnan as much as in the opening of Skyfall when Daniel Craig does the cuff adjust. Yes. Yeah. yes. Like, that's yeah. just, ugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the cherry. It's the cherry. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's the cherry. Uh, see, I love, for, I love for, it. for me, if this scene didn't have the boat chase, I, I actually thought it was a rather droll. It was. Until it it was quiet. That. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's uh, it's definitely laying that. It's it's laying on the story. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that, that that boat chase just kind of like okay, we're into it now. Yeah. Let's yeah. go. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of questionable stuff about it as well. But you kind of gloss over that, like the he's jumping out the window, right? And he takes the cord from the curtains. Well, you're not going to get a 50 foot cord <laughs> from yeah, from yeah. a curtain that's going to hold you <laughs> from jumping when I went five back, stories. <laughs> when I went back and listened to that episode, I was just picturing in my mind, it's like, okay, well, what, what type of, what type of window would have those sorts of blinds? And it's like, well, it would ha- probably have to be like an atrium window. And oh, yeah. by then, gonna have blinds on that you're gonna have like a huge <laughs> yeah. you're gonna have like a huge shut uh there you go <laughs> huge panel like you're not gonna have a cord to that no. so anyway, well you know you get over that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah yeah suspension of disbelief just like that man probably suspended his own disbelief of being used as a human counterweight yeah yep. yeah right. exactly Exactly. Uh, All right. So let's move forward and they dramatically shorten the next one we're going to talk about, which is Casino Royale, which went back in time closer to From Russia with Love. It was, you know, just about three and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I like the fact that they shortened it for this because they, and it was, they took the fantastical action out of it. It's great fighting, but the fantastical action is gone. And they're going back to their roots as they introduce this new bond, and so I, you know, to me, I, th- I thought that was very cool, and I love the black and white to just kind of come back and say, okay, we're going back to the beginning, mm-hmm. and the black and white gives us that. 
So how about you? Why is this on your list, Mike? It is on my list for a lot of those same reasons, because again, you look at where this comes in in the history. Daniel Craig's cast. The trailers are amazing. We get a glimpse of this opening. Yes, that's cool. You get the black and white. Like the, the expectation is sort of set when you're going in here. And yet, you watch that opening. And even knowing some of the stuff that's going to... Even knowing full well what's going to happen, it's still... The phrase I love to borrow from the Bond lexicon, it is a brick through a plate glass window. <laughs> this is the opening statement of Daniel Craig's Bond. Yeah, and yeah. you get the interrogator and you get the thug. Because while he's talking to Dryden and Dryden's sort of grilling him, it's almost like a reverse interrogation. Like Dryden's grilling him about what he's done to get here, thinking, okay, yeah. I can get yeah. one I can get one in on this pup. He's he yeah. still doesn't have his fangs yet. Yeah, yeah. You're beating the hell out of that man in the the the, the restroom. Yeah. Which I guess that's that's sort of where I'm trying to think of which director it was. I think it was Doug Lyman who's like, yeah, Bond totally ripped us off after oh, we yeah. identity. That would have been Lyman. That was that was my comment that I wrote for this is that Yeah. I don't like the shaky cam stuff, but boy did that have a I mean, th- this came out six it was the next Bond movie after Born Identity. Yeah. yeah six yeah. years yeah. later. And it would totally <laughs> ripped off, if you will, the cinematography aspects uh, in that. Yeah, but opening. at the same time it does make it its own. And especially yes. with the black and white, and then when it gets really grainy, when yeah, you go yes. back to that bathroom. Yes. And then the shock and surprise when the gun barrel is unveiled to be what it is. Mm-hmm. That is still one of my favorite moments of Bond history because it's just gunshot, blood, and then you get this intro to You Know My Name. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. That wonderful, just inter- the introductory hooked to that tune and all of us like this was probably one of the most if not the most confident james bond opening and again it's introducing us to a new actor and it doesn't withhold the actor it withholds the tradition and yeah. that, so that way when it happens the the first gun barrel for yeah. Daniel craig it's just super effective and then you're treated to that rich lush artistic pre-credit sequence that it's all. It's another thing. It's like they're starving you for color with this black and white. It's a great choice. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sort of the title sequence. That, yeah, yeah. The title. Oh yeah, and a fantastic hallmark to sort of. Yeah, because it's like Bond has always been noir. Bond has always been been pulp. Yeah. So it's a wonderful tone setting. But then when they let you have the color, when they let yeah. you have the gun barrel, yes. forget it. Yeah. It's like yeah. you know you're in good hands. And yeah. Martin, well, Martin Campbell yet again. Introducing a new Bond, introducing a new tone to the series. The man, it was just, I, I would love, if, if they told, if they said today that Martin Campbell was doing Bond 26, I wouldn't bat an eye. Yeah. That's what interested him. Like, I, I, you should definitely, I don't know if you have gotten him on your show. You should I would definitely. love to, love to have him. You should definitely, because the way the man talks about the series, he mentioned that he was off, after GoldenEye, he was offered pretty much every other James Bond film after that. And he's like, I don't want to do that because I don't just want to do what a man in a control room, like trying to rule the world. Yeah. Like he wants to do something with purpose and with verve. And that's the best way to break out a new bond. And just having him introduce bond again to the world twice. And with a November 17th release date Mm -hmm. also just happens to be my birthday. Ah, (laughs) That's that's, if there was anything, you know, 
<laughs> Although, of course, I mean, you know, more like that. Yeah. But it, it's those coincidences, it's like, it feels like, it felt like a fun sort of coincidental affirmation where it's like, this was always going to happen. And this you was, know my only- name just is perfect too, because it's like, we got a new bond, but hey, you know my name. <laughs> you know my and name. Such a de- and such a departure from the themes. Because I remember, I will admit fully, I hear, like the first couple of times I heard you know my name, it's like, I, it's, I, I know it's, I know this is Bond. I know they want to do something new. I do like this song, but I'm not, I don't know where I am with this. And then of course, if there's any doubt about a song, it happened to me with this. It happened to me with Spectre. Mm-hmm. Okay. The moment I see it in the, in the, the realized with the titles, yes. it's just all of a sudden like, okay. This is a total understanding. I see why they did this. All right. I'm, uh, you know what? My doubts will be kept quiet and I will not raise a fuss because I'm going to wait. <laughs> good. That's a good thing. I mean, it's, I thought the, the black and white was brilliant too. And it was a tremendous reboot of the, the entire series. Craig was outstanding in the pre title and in the movie itself. Drayden <laughs> getting beat by a rookie. Like you were saying, like he's looking at like, I got you. You know, Drayden's saying, hey, yeah, you're just a rookie. You don't even have a kill, whatever. And this just shows us how good Bond was going to be. because The gun he, moment. Because, yeah, he's he says, I know where you keep your gun. I, I, suppose, suppose, that's that's worth, I suppose that's worth something. <laughs> Damn! Just arrogant little shit. It's yeah. so wonderful. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But the absolutely. arrogance is, is earned because yeah. just... Yeah, the deeper you dig into Bond's character, the more you realize that, yeah, that chip on his shoulder made him yes. be the best. It made him be the bluntest instrument possible. And then we also see that arrogance get him into situations where it's not quite perfect. Yes. And it's not quite <laughs> political. It's not quite, in, in, uh, it's not quite finessed. He still eventually gets the job done, but a couple extra steps are required to sort of, yeah. you know, he often, he often has longer. help. He often has help getting the job done. Right. Right. He, True. He, left on his own sometimes, he would fail. But yes. I think in real life, that would probably be the same. Like the CIA, ex CIA operative that we spoke to, too, said the same thing that, hey, you know, it's tough out there and you need help. You need to have the supporting cast. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, Bond's not going to do it all the time on his own. But yeah, this was a great pre-title sequence one of the best ever and one of the best bond movies ever really oh yeah yeah oh easy easy top five and i i I, this may be the one that i would pit against on her majesty's secret service and just have the real moment of doubt and long hour of the soul trying to pick one as a favorite (laughs) it's hard to do that it it really is so let's move to what the, the last one on your list, which is one that I'm going to disagree with you on, and, and that's Quantum of Solace, which is four minutes long, and I'll let you go and explain why you like this and why you have this one on your list. And then at which point Tom will tell me why I'm systematically wrong. No, you're not wrong. We have differences <laughs> I, of opinion, which is fine. I know, I know. I, you know what? There's so many times that I'll see fellow fans love to 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 break out the uh what is it the um i think it's an alan partridge gif or it's a steve cooking where it's like stop getting bond wrong (laughs) and i i get that opinion 
But at the same time, I get that there are opinions and I'm not going to disagree with someone who favors one over the other because we all love James Bond and we're still one of the, I think the Bond fandom is still one of the better fandoms out there. Yes. And to that point, my, my reasoning on why quantum of solace is such a good opening is because it did, it was another one of those groundbreakers. We did not get a bond movie that was like a direct sequel that picks up moments after like true from what i understand if it wasn't for the writer strike they would not have leaned so much on the story to casino royale and quantum of solace and we wouldn't have gotten basically the era of continuity that we got through craig but in terms of quantum of solace i loved the fact that we are just dropped in the middle of nowhere there's very artistic shots of like zooming in over a lake and cutting in between Aston Martin zooming so Oh, yes, thank you. Zooming zooming over Lake Como, and then that beautiful Aston just zooming with purpose, Daniel Craig looking determined. And we're like, okay, whoa, wait. This is, this is, and of course, no gun barrel. So it's like we're really being dropped in the middle of it all. Yes. And then this bone-crunching car chase that, again, a little too much shaky cam. I will yeah. absolutely... A lot of it. Caveat this with there is so much damn shaky cam in this. Yes. But I love the fact that we are just dropped into a car chase. It isn't, well, we're just going to, there's this scenario that's that that we're sitting here. We're laying this out with dialogue and then the action happens. It's it's just action. Like, yeah, previously on James Bond, blah, blah, blah. We're we're here now. We're doing this. Yeah. And then that sly end to it all where he just pulls the car in, he opens the boot, we see it's the, there's Mr. White. And then Daniel Craig in perfect Roger Moore fashion is like, time to get out. And then <laughs> boom, opening titles. As far as I'm concerned, fantastic opening theme, great visuals. Like one of the rare, I think it was MK12 that did the opening titles for this. And it was a break from the usual, like Maurice Binder. And I forget who took over after Maurice Binder, but like, it was a break from the usual sort of visuals and the usual sort of firm that did this. Mm -hmm. Like that. It stands out. I love, love this movie. And again, to the point that was mentioned earlier, this is one that is, is being reappreciated. And I believe rightfully so, especially with the fact that, this was a writer strike. Yeah. This is a film that was compromised. And for part of it, it's just Daniel Craig and Mark Forrester sort of riffing. And then they bring in a, they bring in a writer when the, the strike was lifted. And it's like, well, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. And <laughs> considering all of the factors against it, sterling work, one of the shortest, and I believe one of the, the bluntest and hard hitting. Yeah, well, it and it may, it may be good for Bond 26 that we're in another writer's strike because they haven't figured out what to do yet. So <laughs> we've got some more time. They hear yeah, I I say, make a comment on the shaky cam because a lot of times in movies, you, you see the shaky cam. It, it's, it's there. I thought in Quantum of Solace, the shaky cam had a purpose of bringing us into the action. And, and so the shaky cam kind of put us right into the scenes. So I was okay with the shaky cam in Quantum of Solace. I'm not, sometimes in other movies, you see it and it's just overdone and it's not it's without reason. Here, I thought they had a real reason and I thought it actually worked in bringing you, sucking you into the scene and almost like you're there in the car, feeling it, boom. So I liked it. That part I loved. 
<laughs> yeah, see, for, and for, for me, I actually like the movie. I don't like the pre-title. Wow. Okay. Right? Because to me, it's, okay, this is a four-minute car chase. Okay, great. And, okay, it's interesting with the way they end it, but then when you see that, you're like, oh, man, they're continuing this. And whenever shows don't have continuation through them and they start adding continuation, it's over. It's, it's like when on a sitcom, what do we do with this couple? They get married, show's over. Or they have a baby, show's over. Mm-hmm. Here, oh, well, we, we can't be original. We've got to continue back with what we started in Casino Royale. And so instantly it hits you with that. So you get this, I mean, it was a good, good car sequence for four minutes that just ended with a, what the, bleep. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I didn't mind the continuation of the story from Casino Royale because it made sense in this particular case. I didn't like the whole Daniel Craig arc concept and it's its its own contained storyline with Bond because that's BS to me. I, I just like nah. I, I don't and I don't want every Bond mission to be a continuation and tied to the last one because I don't want to watch a soap opera. I want <laughs> I want the missions to be distinct and separate and like they were before. But this one I thought was okay to continue the story. And in general, I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't want that to continue that way. And I didn't like this little bunch. Of Daniel Craig arc. Thing. I love the Daniel Craig arc. <laughs> and I like that they experimented with it through that arc. Do I want that to necessarily continue? No, I wouldn't. I, I mean, if they found a, an interesting way to do it, if they really wanted to compartmentalize this next era in that way again, okay. Because from what all the indications are, are reading, it looks like they want to get back into the Roger Moore model of long-term like they made a long-term agree eon made a long-term agreement with warner brothers yeah. for bond 27 on for international distribution and they're obviously looking for a young mid probably mid-30s yeah. actor to take over so they're making moves to potentially meet if not break the roger moore record of i believe it was seven films that he made yes, right yeah. mm-hmm well, they've got to get him out more frequently than every five years. Yeah, or else the 30-something-year-old yeah. will be in his 70s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I didn't. I, I, I'm like I said. I love the the Daniel Craig era, but I wish that it would have moved faster. I wish that yeah, Bloodstone could have somehow been more better integrated because that's technically a lost James Bond movie. Just as everything or nothing for Pierce Brosnan was the video game that was the lost James Bond movie, mm-hmm. and you had Willem Dafoe as a villain in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like yeah. these wonderful stories that, okay, well, technically you could say Craig had six stories. But, yeah, the wait between yeah. Spectre and No Time to Die was killer, and the wait between Skyfall and Spectre was, was a bit of a killer, too. Yes, yep. yes, definitely. Okay, so we've, we've gone through the eight that you sent us of your favorite slash notable pre-title sequences in your article in 2020 you also included diamonds are forever the man with the golden gun skyfall and um, the living daylights as as other ones so that's something else to address but i like the fact that we asked you know we wanted to do this give us your 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 top ones you want to talk about boom you had your list you knew what it was that's awesome I mean, that's I, like I said. I, I didn't want to keep you here for three hours, but those other, those other openings still are very notable and very interesting in their own ways. Like Diamonds Are Forever, obviously, just 
it's that middle ground of we're gonna uh, we'll, we'll we'll pretend what happened before it happened, but at the same time we want to distance on ourselves a little bit. Yeah, and then, you know, Skyfall is that wonderful yes introduction of Money Penny introduction of. Yes, yes, M being as ruthless as possible. And then, forgetting to mention Living Daylights, I do apologize to Timothy Dalton for that because of the fact that, again, we're introducing Bond, and it's just this fantastic, like, action-crunching thing that... Yes. Yeah. It it was... And then the nods to other Bond actors through the casting, which, of course, they stayed away from Connery because they were never going to... They would have never done that. I'm sure they, they they thought for a brief second... Well, could we ask Sean if he'd be okay with a with a, a lookalike? And then it automatically, the next second after, they could hear his voice in their head. No, I yeah. say no. <laughs> if you can't just have the genuine article, you may as well do without. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the spy who loved me though. That I think is got to be on my list. I mean, the spy who loved me pre-title sequence. That's uh, fair. It is terrific, and it really parallels a lot with the a view to a kill the whole snow chase thing and and it they both end with the union jack union jack parachute and a spy love me and the union jack hatch on the <laughs> iceberg boat that he gets into at the end but uh, the spy love me just i i thought was an awesome pre-title sequence for all, all the way through it from the cabin and the photography and uh, rick sylvester's jump off the 2000 foot cliff which the whole story behind that, uh, the Union Jack, uh, is just beautiful. Oh, yeah, that parachute reveal is is perfect. That is quintessentially Roger Moore's Bond, yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah, yep. there, there you go. I agree with up. you there. All right. Hey, that's good. We talked about eight James Bond pre-title sequences, some of the favorites of Mike Reyes of CinemaBlend.com, some of our favorites, where we agreed and disagreed. Mostly we agreed, but a couple of little parts in there where we have a little difference of opinion but that was a lot of fun mike thank you very much for joining us again today gotta have you back again real soon because you're always a blast to have on the show oh this absolute pleasure and thank you again for having me absolutely thanks a lot mike thanks all right hey this has been dan and tom of spymovienavigator.com and our show cracking the code of spy movies subscribe to our show through your favorite podcast app Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you spending time with us. Thanks.